Welcome back to the Ramble Room. This weekend, here in Sheridan, the county Republicans held their annual Reagan Day dinner. It is kind of our highest event of the year. It's an opportunity for people to get together, have a little bit of good time, do some fundraising. We have a keynote speaker each year. This year it was Harriet Hageman, Wyoming's lone congressperson. One of the things that we do that I think is very interesting is we bring in a bunch of students and we give them a little bit of time with the keynote speaker or whomever is available at the time for a little bit of Q&A. And what I want to share with you today is the goings on there. There were a number of students there, some public school, some uh, private school, some homeschooled. They each had an opportunity to ask Representative Hageman questions. I'm going to play for you those questions and her answers, and I hope that you enjoy those. And we'll have a little bit more for you after this section is over. Please uh, enjoy Harriet Hageman question and answers with some high school students. There's a lot going on in Washington, D.C. right now. And as I was getting ready to leave yesterday, first of all, I was missing my, my, the, the flights because we were voting on a speaker designate. And so as it got later and later in the day, I was talking to folks about getting back to Wyoming and they said, we're trying to convince people to stay here in Washington, D.C. for the weekend. Uh, there are going to be potentially other things we need to do with regard to the speaker's race. And so I was asked not to go back to Wyoming. And so I have volunteered to do some phone calling and different things um, with folks here to see if we can for sure get a speaker in place next week. So uh, it's been about a year since I saw some of you. I believe that some of you are, were in the room last year and it's been an exciting year. Um, I was extremely honored to uh, be elected by the state of Wyoming and to now represent the state of Wyoming in Congress. It's been quite an eventful year with several firsts or at least uh, things that have not happened for a long, long time. As you may remember, it took us 15 rounds of votes in January to finally seat a speaker. And then 10 days ago, for the first time in U.S. history, there was a successful motion to vacate. And what that meant was that uh, a certain gentleman by the name of Matt Gates from Florida filed a motion to, to vacate the speaker's chair. Uh, we debated it on the floor of the House, and there were eight Republicans and all of the Democrats that voted together to do that. And so right now, we do not have a Speaker of the House of Representatives, which is not a good thing, but I am optimistic that this next week is going to change that. So it has been quite an eventful year. I've been working on a lot of different kinds of legislation that I believe is important to Wyoming. For example, the Coal Act, which would lift the moratorium that the Secretary of Interior currently has on new coal, per, uh, coal mine permitting. Uh, I've also worked on the uh, HR2, which is the very strongest border security bill that has ever been passed by Congress. That actually came out of the Judiciary Committee, so I was very active, actively involved in that particular piece of legislation. 
HR1 is an energy security bill that we've passed out of the House. HR5 is a parent's bill of rights to ensure that our parents are able to adequately and rightfully be able to engage with their, uh, their, their schools and ensure that their schools are doing what they want them to do in terms of educating all of our students. So those are just some of the things that we've been doing. I am, I've been active with all of my committees. I'm on the Judiciary Committee, as I mentioned a moment ago. I'm also on the Select Committee for the Weaponization of the Federal Government. And then I am on the Natural Resources Committee. And it's very common, in, in fact, throughout history, Wyoming's representative has typically been on the Natural Resource Committee. With that, I'm on the Subcommittee for Water, Wildlife, and Fisheries. And then I also am the Chairman of the Subcommittee on Indian and Insular Affairs. So I help to oversee our 574 tribes in the United States, and I also oversee our territories and then some other islands that we have special arrangement, arrangements with down in the South Pacific Ocean, such as Micronesia, Palau, and the Marshall Islands. So it has been a very exciting year um, in terms of the nature of the legislation that we've been passing and also just getting to understand how Washington DC works and being able to represent our constituents. I have two offices there in Wyoming, one in Casper, one in Cheyenne. I have an entire staff back there that works on issues uh, important to people in Wyoming, whether it's addressing issues and problems with the IRS or the VA or uh, whatever it may be, the BLM, Fish and Wildlife Service, Forest Service, pretty much any federal issue that could come up has been coming up. Uh, and so we want to make sure that we're providing services to the folks right there in Wyoming to the extent that they need help with, with the agencies. So with that, if I remember correctly, last year, we just kind of did a question and answer opportunity for you guys to ask me questions about what I'm doing, why I'm doing it. And I think that might be the, the best way to go here. So Brian, if you've got some, some folks in there who have some questions for me, I'd be happy to take a shot at them. Uh, hello, uh, my, name is, my name is Riley Rankin and I have a question for you. Um, what's the name of the person that has been put forward to replace the speaker or is there one been put forward? Yes, there is. That was what we finished voting last night. And it is a gentleman from Ohio by the name of Jim Jordan. Okay, okay. And he is currently, you probably see him quite a bit on TV. In fact, you might see him more on TV than almost any other member of Congress because he is the chairman of the Judiciary Committee and he's also the chairman of our Select Committee on Weaponization of the Federal Government. So I've worked very closely with Jim over the last 10 months on issues related to protecting our First Amendment rights, investigating what's been going on with the FISA court and the FISA process. Uh, addressing problems with the FBI investigating parents because of their interaction with schools uh, and, and a whole variety of things. So I think that Jim is a, is a, is a solid pick. Uh, he was my pick. I endorsed him a week over a week ago, and I'm excited by the prospect of a Jim Jordan Speaker of the House of Representatives. Okay, thank you. Hi, you mentioned that you were on the Judiciary Committee. One of our questions for the We, we the People is about that. So I was wondering what your opinions about judicial independence were, like how far does it extend and do you think it should be independent? 
Well, as a practicing as a, an attorney who practiced law for 35, 34 years, yes, I do believe that the judiciary should be independent. There are three distinct branches of government, judiciary, legislative, and, and the executive. Uh, I personally feel and have always felt, even before I became a congresswoman, that the legislative branch should be the strongest branch of government. And the reason for that is because it is the one branch that is closest to the people. So for example, I will be up for election every two years as long as I want to stay in Congress, meaning I'm accountable to you, I'm accountable to the voters. The judiciary, where I think that there have been problems with the judiciary is that there are some members of the judiciary who I would argue want to legislate rather than just interpret and apply the law the way that it was written by us or by your House of Representatives and Senate right there in Wyoming. So yes, I, I, I disagree with judicial activism. At the same time, uh, it is up to the judiciary to interpret the law. And I do believe that that, is, that that is an appropriate way that our constitution was laid out, both at the federal level as well as the state level. I have worked it with and, and I, have, I have practiced in front of some excellent judges. And I have practiced in front of judges that I do not consider to be uh, quite of that caliber. Um, but I, I've been fortunate to practice in a lot of different venues around the United States. And I would definitely work to ensure that we protect the, 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 the powers that are set forth in Article 3 of the Constitution, which is what it relates to the judicial branch. Thank you. Hi, um, I'm SJ, and I had a question for you. So what is your stance on abortion and care in Wyoming? I am pro-life, and I believe that life begins at conception. And so uh, I, I, I guess that's really my only answer to the question in terms of, of, of my view on that particular issue. Like, what about laws that are being pushed forward? What is your opinion on those? Do you mean the laws that are being passed out of the Wyoming legislature? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think that the decision last year in Dobbs uh, issued by the, the United States Supreme Court stating that this was a state issue and that there is no right to an abortion found in the federal constitution is absolutely correct. Uh, Roe versus Wade decided in 1973 was a, was a decision that was, to go to the previous question, was, was as the result of judicial activism. And it was an issue that always should have been left up to the states. I'm somebody that believes that the vast majority of, of power that is exercised here in Washington, D.C. should actually be exercised by the states and not at the federal level. So I was glad that the Supreme Court finally righted that wrong and did what they should have done quite some time ago. I won't go into all of the details, but substantive due process is a doctrine that was essentially created by activist judges to find, try to find a way to add things to the Constitution that don't actually exist there. It's one of the reasons why your state constitutions are often broader than what you find in the federal constitution, including the state of Wyoming's. Uh, there are broader constitutional protections in our constitution than there is the federal constitution. But that's because, again, that's where I believe most of the power should lie. So I believe it's absolutely within the right of the Wyoming legislature to step forward, forward and legislate on this uh, very important public policy issue. I do, I have been watching the case that is uh, with the judge in Jackson. Um, I would say that I, I think that the plaintiffs definitely did some forum shopping there and they believe that they had the best chance 
of getting an injunction against these new statutory provisions by going to her. And that, in fact, is what has happened. Um, but I, from the standpoint of our constitution, you know, we're all, we, we have a constitutional right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness with life being the very first right that is discussed, uh, there. And I, I, I think that that's an important right, an important one to remember. Um, so again, I think that it's absolutely appropriate for the Wyoming legislature to step up on this kind of an important public policy issue and set forth what the policy of our state will be. Okay. Um, and last thing, do you have any opinion on whether there should be ban like exceptions for rape, incest, things like that? No, I still believe that it is an autonomous that that is an autonomous human being. Okay, thank you. Um, my name's Cutter Hewlett, and I was uh, curious as to what your views on uh, term limits for the Supreme Court are. I don't believe in term limits. Um, in Wyoming, we have a, an age limitation for our for our judges, and at seventy years old, um, you you have to step down from the bench. I don't believe in term limits for the United States Supreme Court because it's not in our constitution. So I think any such efforts would be unconstitutional. Thank you. My name is Declan Heiser. After you appoint the Speaker of the House. Where does securing the border fall on your priorities? Uh, number one, but it has pretty much all year. I am terribly frightened after what happened in Israel last Saturday of what we have done right here in this country. One of the points that I have made over and over again, and this was way earlier this year, about seven months ago, over 10 and a half times the pot of, of the population of the state of Wyoming has crossed that border illegally since Joe Biden took office. Not only is it creating a humanitarian crisis throughout the United States, it's created a humanitarian crisis on the border, in Mexico, in places in Canada. Uh, it is a, there's a level of cruelty associated with this, the likes of which I have never before seen. And now we know that I was just reading yesterday that we have over 165 people on the terror watch list that they have been able to apprehend. But when you consider the hundreds of thousands of people that they refer to as getaways or gotaways, uh, we know that that number must be much, much higher in terms of the folks that we haven't been able to apprehend. I've visited the border in February. We had a field hearing from the Judiciary Committee. We had a field hearing down in Yuma, Arizona. We went to the border at about 1.30 in the morning, and I was standing talking with some of the police officers looking over across into Mexico, and it's an area where there was a gap in the wall, probably 50 foot wide, where no wall had been built. And um, he said, this is a hot spot, which obviously makes sense. That's what you would expect under these circumstances. And he said, we have found over 200 bodies right on the other side of that, uh, of that wall, of that area. And I said, well, that's so strange. I don't, why, why would you be finding bodies there? What, they can walk right over. What is, what is the reasoning why you would find so many bodies in that particular location? And the fact is that nobody can cross into the United States. Nobody can cross that border illegally unless they go through the, court, the cartels. So those are people who attempted to cross the border without paying uh, the cartels to be able to do it. And they kill them and they leave their bodies there. I saw the rape trees. Uh, I saw the humanitarian crisis of people coming across with, with, with nothing. Uh, over 160 countries have now been uh, uh, 
we have now been coming across that border, folks from 160 countries. About two weeks ago, I was in New York City and I took the train from Washington, D.C. up to Manhattan and got off the train, walked outside, and the entire area was surrounded by probably 150 men from Africa. And you can tell that that's where they're from just simply by their looks. And these are men that have been brought to New York City and abandoned. Uh, they don't speak the language. They don't understand our culture. They're just about to go into a New York City winter. Uh, they have nowhere to live. They, they have no clothing. And they are just sitting there where they were drum, dropped off. Um, it is, again, a tragedy beyond anything that, that I could ever comprehend. Uh, the level of, of, of heartache that comes from this across the board is just mind-blowing. The amount of resources from our state and federal government that are being deflected and diverted away from American citizens to address issues from illegal aliens, I think is absolutely wrong. And I think it's a misappropriation of our assets. Uh, we have been pushing on the border issue from the very moment that we took office. As I said, HR2 is the strongest border security bill that has ever passed out of the House of Representatives. When we uh, took that through the Judiciary Committee as we were um, uh, uh, debating it, uh, we started, I believe, at 10 o'clock in the morning and finished at 4 o'clock the next morning. Uh, it was almost 24 hours of, of, of nonstop debate about that bill. And it's a very good bill. I hope it, it is sitting in the Senate right now. The Senate has not taken it up, but it is something that we need to continue to focus on uh, for so many different reasons, as I've indicated, humanitarian, humanitarian economically. One of the problems and one of the issues with bringing in millions of illegal aliens is you suppress the, the wages of American citizens, and that's wrong. Um, and we're also creating a permanent underclass. That's also wrong. So the entire policy, we, we had Mayorkas in front of the Judiciary Committee. I had an opportunity to question him. I didn't focus on the border issue because so many of the other members of Congress had focused on the border issues. I focused on his effort to suppress our First Amendment rights and went after him on that. But we will continue to push on this issue because it needs to be fixed and we need to close the border. Follow-up question. So you said that the House has passed it and it's in the Senate waiting to be processed. Is that correct? Yes. If they somehow add funding for Ukraine in that bill, would you, you can't do anything about that, right? Because it's already passed through the House. Well, then you have what's called a, a then, then we then we come back together and we meet and have a conference and then you negotiate back and forth as to what is ultimately going to be in the bill that is sent to the to the president for his signature. So we recognize that those are some of the things that the Senate may very well do is that they may attempt to attach Ukraine funding to other what I would view as must pass bills. Um, I don't know what my answer to that is. I think that we're going to have to look at it very seriously. But I will say this, there absolutely has to be a, an effort and a mechanism to force this administration to close that border and to start enforcing our immigration laws. Thank you very much. What is your opinion on like the the trans anti-trans bills and student for like sports and stuff, what is your view on all the LGBTQ things taught in schools? Well, first of all, um, very simply, 
there are boys and there are girls and a boy cannot become a girl and a girl cannot become a boy. I believe that many of the surgeries and the medications that are being pushed with this entire agenda, I refer to it as, I refer to them as, as sexual lobotomies. The surgeries, the medication, they are making lifelong patients out of the, the children on, on whom they are practiced as well as the adults. Um, I think that this is a very bizarre time that we're, that we're going through a, a uh, sense of unreality in terms of, of pushing this agenda that makes absolutely no psychological sense. It makes no medical sense. I, it is something that you just have to keep trying to dig deeper and deeper and deeper and understand the underlying agenda. Uh, I think that it is horrific what is going on with this. And I especially think that it is, it, it is a level of cruelty beyond belief uh, to be doing this to anyone who is under 18 years old, who I do not believe should be making, that other people should not be making those decisions and they should not be making those life, life altering decisions. So you can probably tell, I don't buy into this. I, I think it's wrong. Uh, I think there's a, a level of wrongheadedness with us. I think, again, to use the word, uh, the word a, a level of cruelty. Um, as far as the medication, I think what we're going to find and what the studies have been showing is to the extent that these medications, cross-sex hormones and, and puberty blockers and those kinds of things are being given to people, what we're finding is substantial and very serious medical consequences, which is what you would expect. Um, very serious heart problems, very serious vascular problems, very serious uh, uh, um, emotional problems. Uh, so I, I, I think everybody needs to, to stop and take a step back. Um, Dylan Mulvaney is, is, is no hero of mine. Uh, I am offended by how he acts. I'm offended by his effort to claim being a woman, which he is not. I am. He's not. Um, I do not uh, see... I, I think it is very a strange period of time that we are having conversations between adults and children about sexuality issues that I think are entirely inappropriate. Um, as far as as far as boys competing in girls sports, I think it's absolutely wrong. Uh, and we saw what happened in Chicago just yesterday with with two male bicyclists winning the the female division in the in the competition. And I. Uh, the, the guy from Pennsylvania who was on the swim team, there's something mentally wrong with him. Uh, and I, I think that it was wrong for the school to accommodate him and attempt to force the girls to suffer what they had to because he's got his issues. Uh, so, yeah, I think we're living through a very strange period of time. I apologize to the young people that adults have done this. Uh, I think it's wrong. Hi, I was wondering, um, as of right now, who do you think the best candidate is for president in this next election? I have endorsed Donald Trump. So I'm Shane, your local trans kid here, and my question for you would be, out of all the political issues going on right now, what do you think would be the one to cause the most division within citizens' lives? Oh gosh, there are so many going on. Just like what we've talked about in this meeting right now, um, you know, we've got we've got the border issue, we've got the issue of what you just raised, and uh, I think that there are a lot of them that are happening right now. Um, I wish that they weren't, 
I, I think that there are certain realities that we all ought to be able to agree with and understand. And that is one of them. You know, I'm not going to apologize for the fact that I say a boy is a boy and a girl is a girl. I'm not going to apologize for that. I think we as society have to be willing to say that there are certain absolute truths. And I'm willing to do that and I'm willing to stand up and, and, and defend that. And so um, I, I think that there are a lot of things that are going on. I, th I think uh, it's, it's very divisive to be uh, bringing illegal aliens into communities and expecting uh, uh, the, the people there to support them with, with, uh, with their tax dollars, with their resources and things like that when they're also struggling. I think that the policies associated with the Biden administration and their war on our energy is a divisive issue simply because it is creating the terrible uh, inflation that we're seeing. That, is, that at, at the foundation is, the, is, is really the issue, is uh, the war on coal, the war on oil and gas, the effort to prevent us from being able to access our resources. So I think that there are a lot of very divisive issues right now but we have to be able to address them and discuss them. Hi, um, another question for you. What is your opinion on the right to like choose who you love, like the right to have gay marriage? The, the Supreme Court already decided that issue. That's not an issue that is before Congress. I believe marriage is between a man and a woman. The Supreme Court decided that that's not coming up before Congress. That's not what we're spending our time on. All right. And last question. Have you ever read into the stats of st the statistics of children dying from when they don't get their meds they need for transitioning, when they don't even socially transition, where there's no medication involved, which is many young children's transitions. You know, I'm going to I'm, I'm push back. I'm going to push back. Uh, the, the, the suicide rate that you're that you see with with people who go through those surgeries uh, the medical complications associated with them, uh, the long-term medical consequences associated with the types of surgeries and the medication, as I, as I stated a moment ago, uh, you've got serious heart complications associated with the medications for cross-gender cross hormones, for puberty blockers. You have issues with osteoporosis. You have issues with uh, the, the your your ability to continue to function your physical functioning, um, I know that that is that that that, that is the uh, uh, kind of the message, uh, and I'm I, I'm not going to buy into it. I, I'm not going to buy into it because I think that the opposite is shown. Uh, I can't imagine putting injecting a, a, a young boy with estrogen or a young girl with testosterone. I, I think that by very your very definition, um, you're creating very serious long-term medical complications and, and consequences associated with that. So I, I think that this entire discussion 10 years from now, we're gonna look back on this with horror, uh, this era, this period of time with horror. Uh, I realize that it's a fad and that's what it is. Uh, it is, it is simply, we should not be doing this to people. And I'm, that's just the end of that discussion. I don't know that we need to discuss it any further. Okay. Uh, Representative, we got about five. We'll go another five minutes. We got two more questions, and that'll be it for the day. Hi, my name is uh, Ethan Walker. And my question is what's your opinion on Joe Biden? I think Joe Biden is a failed presidency by every single metric that you could possibly identify. 
uh, the uh, the inflation, as I mentioned a moment ago, his war on on affordable energy, um, what has happened with the border, the wide open border, both both north and south, both with Mexico as well as with Canada. Uh, I think that a weak America makes for a very dangerous world, and I think you're seeing that in uh, Israel right now, and I think that you saw it with the invasion of Ukraine. Um, we now know that there are weapons that have been found with Hamas who, that, were, that originated in Afghanistan with the failure of the, um, the, the uh, withdrawal in August of 2021. Uh, that was such a colossal failure, and we now know that weapons and equipment have been spreading around the world to other terrorist organizations. Um, he is, I, I just, I, I don't think that there's any metric by which he has made the right decision with anything that he's done. I also believe that he's suffering from dementia. Uh, and I think that the rest of the world sees that. And I think that it's, it, it is creating problems, not only domestically, but internationally. I also believe in having been a part of some of the investigation into the Hunter Biden activities and having the opportunity to uh, question both Christopher Ray as well as Merrick Garland. I believe that the Biden family is corrupt. I believe that Joe Biden is corrupt. I believe that he ha was um, receiving bribes while he was vice president. And I also believe that our foreign policy and our national security is in part being dictated by some of the activities that Hunter Biden was engaged in uh, overseas while, while Joe was vice president and then since then. Um, so I, I guess you could probably tell that I think that Joe Biden is the worst president in the history of the United States. And I think it's, it, it is incredibly important that we replace him and hear from now. Um, my last question is, do you think factions and political extremism has prevented Congress from passing important legislature? No, I think we've passed some really, really good legislation this year. H.R. Uh, 1 is our, is our um, energy security bill, H.R. 2, our border security bill, H.R. 5 is the, is, is the Parents' Bill of Rights. Um, some of the other legislation that we have passed, we've done the NDAA. We've done four appropriations bills funding approximately 70% of the government. Um, we have also uh, passed the RAINS Act, and the RAINS Act is very important for um, being able for the Congress to reclaim its rightful responsibility as the legislative branch and attempting to rein in the executive branch's effort for, uh, for to, to legislate through administrative agencies. Um, I sponsored the Separation of Powers Restoration Act, which is something that is also extremely important. Uh, the, we've done a bill to overturn ATF's illegal rulemaking on pistol braces and on uh, um, bump stocks. Um, we've done the Limit Save Grow Act. We've done, uh, let me look at some of the others. Oh, protecting America's strategic petroleum reserve from China. As you may very well know, Joe Biden um, has been selling our strategic petroleum reserve oil to China. And our SBR is now, now down uh, over 50% since he took office. It takes over nine years to fill our SPR, our Strategic Petroleum Reserve. That was a bipartisan bill. Both Democrat and Republican in the House 
that we pass that to stop Joe Biden from continuing to sell our SBR oil to China. Uh, we also passed a bill requiring them to declassify all documents related to the origins of uh, COVID-19, which we now know came from the Wuhan laboratory in China. So no, we've, we've done some really, really good work. Even the debt ceiling bill in June included, um, and I voted against it, but it did include some uh, amendments, some revisions to the National Environmental Policy Act for the first time since 1987. So I actually think we've passed some excellent legislation. I'm very proud of what we've done. The Senate's the ones that aren't doing anything. The House, the House has been extremely active. I think we've probably been more active than any Congress in recent history, if not ever. In one day in May, we had 149 hearings in one day. So we've been very busy. All right. Well, thank you, Representative. I appreciate uh, your time. Um, thank thank you. you guys for, for coming and being a part of this. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I think that we have some more things coming up in the near future that you're going to enjoy a lot. Those of you that have been listening to the Ramble Room for the last two or three years will remember my daughter, Sarah, and her husband, Joe, were an integral part, if not the driving force, of this podcast when it first started. They have a young family, and times change, circumstances change, and for a period of time, they were unable to participate on a regular basis, and we've very much missed them. This is not to say that they are going to be a regular weekly part of every show from this point on, but things have changed a little bit in their life, and they're able to contribute a little bit more, and they're anxious to do so. They came up here this weekend, uh, spent some time with us at the Reagan Day dinner, and I think they kind of got the bug once again. So I sent them home with some equipment and some microphones and looking forward to anything they might produce from there. They are an entertaining couple, and I hope to include them as often as possible in the future. That having been said, I want to go way back, way back. I believe this was the very first show that the Ramble Room ever put out, and it was called Many many mink there was a sequel there could have been several more because there were other stories that came up over the years which we just didn't get into but i want to share this with you and i hope you enjoy what i believe was the very first ramble room podcast Last one, and this probably should have been put with coronavirus news, but, you know, I put it at the end. Calls in Denmark to dig up millions of dead mink. They found out in Denmark that somehow the coronavirus was passing. <laughs> Quiet, you. That somehow the coronavirus was passing to the mink. So they quickly slaughtered and buried all of these minks, and now there's being a call to unbury them and incinerate them properly. I would unbury them and skin them and sell the coats no, and no, pay no, no, for No, 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 that's part of the problem. But part of what the article talks about is that the 
the fur industry is mink. being really, really hurt by this mink shortage. <laughs> so, so wait a minute. Did only... the minks all die of COVID? No, no, no. They had to cull millions of mink. Because they had COVID? Because somehow the the virus mutated to where it was in them or on them. or. Can you imagine being there on that desk with your telephones, calling all the minks? Hey, have you been checked out? Yeah, is this mink? You got a fever? Is this mink number 223? I'm supposed to call you. Uh, That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Obviously, it's a leftist thing. Oh, yes. The two burial sites in Jutland are highly controversial. One is near a bathing lake and the other not far from a source of drinking water. The discovery well, see, of the now mutated that's stupid. <laughs> Whether they have coronavirus or not, yeah, that's you shouldn't dumb. bury hundreds of dead animals. The discovery of the mutated form of the virus promptly prompted a cull of nearly seventeen million mink. Devastating the Danish and, fur and then industry. Then they buried it next to drinking water? Yes. But the burial decision was judged illegal. The new agricultural minister, <laughs> Rasmus Prenn, said on Friday he supported the ideas of exhuming the mink and incinerating them, but that would require the Environmental Protection Agency's approval, he added. <laughs> really got a mess on their hands in Denmark. <laughs> There's so much mink blood. No wonder South Africans hate the Dutch. <laughs> Mass mink graves. It's ridiculous. Nothing to do with the Boer War. <laughs> Look at that. There's a picture. Many, many mink. That's the, the mass grave. Mink many health. mink. Pretty much. Nobody can see that. I'm done. Is that the you have a, that great now. intro? We don't have no an outro. Strategy? Ladies and gentlemen, good night. As the foreman and I says when it's quitting time. Oh, that would be <laughs> It's quitting time. Bye. All right, so I mentioned sequels. Over the last couple of years, there have been a few more stories about mink, and anytime one comes up, we all pass it amongst each other and kind of laugh about that. We did, however, manage to get one sequel done early on, and this is it. Here are Zombie Mink. Back by popular demand, the mink crisis. Is it Sweden? The saga continues. <laughs> no, it's Denmark. Denmark. Yeah, yeah, there's something afoul in Denmark. Oh, something rotten. Rotten, yeah. Sorry. My oh, Shakespeare's a little shaky. Oh, crap. This is a follow-up to a little fun thing we did, the many much minkies. This is fresh, folks. No pun intended. Although, <laughs> as, as I read today, this actually began four or five years ago when one of these mink farmers said that there was a problem because he was next to a wind farm and the turbines were making the mama minks eat their babies alive. This whole mink thing is getting kind of creepy. It was the maternal mink madness. You should have been there. So an article from Breitbart is headlined, Men behind the Swedish mink farm arson linked to terror groups. Two young men who are accused of setting fire... What were they doing, hiding in the bushes behind the mink farm? We've been waiting all day to do this, and now you can't shut your mouth. 
Two young men who are accused of setting fire to a disused mink farm are believed to be connected to terrorist groups, according to Swedish security police and the FBI. The two men, aged 18 and 20 at the time, at the time, mind you, somebody's had a birthday since then, traveled from Stockholm to Solvesburg on October 2019. On October 2019. October what? Get it together, Breitbart. Intending to release the minks at the farm after discussing their plans on an online forum. Rule number one, terrorists. Don't talk about your crap online. The pair set up a campsite near the mink farm and later (laughs) admitted that when they found there were no mink there, they decided to set the farm on fire instead. What happened to all the mink? During their interrogations, both men initially denied any involvement in the fire, but after being shown photographic evidence and internet chat logs, they eventually confessed. Oh, oh, that mink thing. The 20-year-old stating he hated the mink fur industry. Burn it. Over the last several months, the mink industry was a subject of headlines as workers on mink farms began testing positive for the Chinese coronavirus, and some suspected that they had possibly been infected by minks carrying the virus. Possibly. Little mink satchels. I wonder what they use to it's make a mink a satchel. satchel. It's a man bag. <laughs> a fanny resp- pack. In response to the possible link between coronavirus and mink, Denmark culled as many as 17 million of them after outbreaks on... You should have seen their phone bill. Oh, my gosh. So the other thing that you have brought to our attention... Take it away, Mommy. The article is talking about why are minks getting sick and what's the connection between coronavirus and the mink and humans... And the fear that it's passing the to... the link with the mink? <laughs> We've discovered the mink link. <laughs> Even though they don't know anything. So they are speculating... They the minks? People are speculating about why, how did the minks get it? Is it they're worried because it mutates and then goes back to the people? So what could happen mutant if... Mutant mink. No, <laughs> mutant virus. They're worried that all of these animals could pass it on to other animals and we could have COVID spread around the world. Be- Zombie the- mink. Yes. Okay, so Mutant maternal mink madness. <laughs> we talked earlier about how in November, Denmark had culled, as in killed. Not called. <laughs> like, hey, how you doing, mink? That really solves a lot. Yeah. So they had killed 17 million mink on over 200 mink farms. Because I was going, 17 million minks? Who has 17 million minks? Well, they're spread around on 200 mink farms. They were spread around, but now they're dead and buried all in a couple of places. It's significant to note that they killed all colors, too. This was not a racist thing. They didn't just kill white ones or black ones. They got everything. And also healthy ones, yes. Yes. Yeah, we yes. don't care. We're not going to check every mink and test them. We're just going to assume that they're all sick or are going to be, and we're going to kill them all. Bunch of speciesists. The Danish government spared no mink, killing infected and healthy animals alike. This is a quote. We would rather go a step too far than take a step too little to combat COVID-19. The country's prime minister later apologized, and its food and agriculture minister stepped down when the order to kill the animals was declared illegal. Oh, really? Sorry. And one of them had tears in her eyes when she talked about it. Was she wearing a little ribbon, a brown and white furry ribbon it, on it her? It did not specify. I'm sure that those will be coming out momentarily available on we the internet. start publishing them. Yes. We would rather go a step too far than take a step too little to combat COVID-19. This is so serious. If you're a mink, it is. If you were a mink. 
That was low. <laughs> it's true. Well, it doesn't matter to them now. Except that there are more that are about to die. News of zombie mink pushed up the more shallow and quickly built graves by the gas created from their decomposing bodies has only furthered anger. Out there by our water sources, the dead mink are coming up out of the ground. Yes. Yeah, the article wasn't necessarily easy to read through oh my in gosh. order with the interesting part. Next summer's blockbuster, The Maternal Mink Madness, followed by Mink Madness 2, The Rise of the Dead. <laughs> Tom Cruise could direct. But there's still more to kill. Um, oh my gosh, that's the next summer's blockbuster hit. Still more to kill. Mink Madness, still more to kill. <laughs> I totally missed the main point I of this I have a very article. special set of pelts. <laughs> many, many mink. That is the connection. They want us to be so reliant on Russia and China. The mink connection. There's the next movie. We've got four of them already. Eat your heart out, Tom Cruise. So how do we top that? Well, I'll tell you. I don't know. What I do know is, as I alluded to earlier, we have a number of things in the hopper, things that we want to work on. One of them is a Sunday show. As most of you know, I am a pastor, I am a preacher, I am a teacher, and I have a certain fondness for a Sunday morning service. I know that there are a lot of folks out there who, for one reason or another, either choose not to or are unable to attend a Sunday morning service. And so we're working on a lineup to be able to do that on Sunday mornings, give you a little bit of uh, encouragement share some good music, share some Bible study thoughts, some devotions, number of things coming down that pike. So I wanted to throw that out there. And another aspect is uh, those of you that have listened to Joey's show, and I hope that it's all of you. If it isn't, go back and listen. He does a good show. You will note that he includes a lot of music, and he has, I think, for the most part, some pretty good taste. Uh, we we may not agree all the time, but that's what makes it fun. But I have my own tastes in music, and I've been following it for well over 50 years. My leanings tend toward bluegrass, southern gospel, things of that nature. And it is my intention to begin bringing more of that kind of music to the Independence Network for you to enjoy I also have a passion for local bands who are just trying to get their feet on the ground. There are a lot of good singer-songwriters. There are a lot of good musicians around the state and around the area. And I would like to feature, to showcase some of their talents and to share with you some of that music. And so for the rest of the hour that I have to fill here, I just kind of want to give you a taste of some of the music that I like. And if you happen to like it, then I think you'll be happy with some of the things that are coming along. At any rate, thank you for listening to the Independence Network. We are, as you well know, still learning the ropes, still trying to iron out the kinks, trying to get rid of the gremlins. But things are improving, and I'm very much encouraged one more time, I'd like to thank Joey and David for all their hard work, for making this thing a reality. It's been a dream of mine for many years, and I'm delighted that it's moving forward. So, we'll share with you a little bit of music. Thank you.
there's a friend who watches day and night. I go to him in prayer. He knows my every care. And just a little talk with Jesus makes it So that was a talented group of young men that called themselves the Redeemed Quartet. If you like that kind of music, I'd suggest that you look them up on YouTube, like and follow them. I'm sure that they would appreciate it. This next piece is pretty special to me. Many of you in Wyoming politics know about Cindy Barlow. Many of you may not know that she's a pretty good fiddle player. This fiddle is affectionately known as Great White. It's been played in both the Wyoming and Colorado symphonies. It's been played in fiddle championships, and many folks that have played it considered it a worthy instrument. This is an instrument I built from scratch over 20 years ago, and it gives me great pleasure to hear it played very well. I'm no master luthier. I certainly am not counting myself up there with Stradivari or Guarneri. But I'm quite proud of this instrument. I think it has a good sound. And I hope that you will enjoy Cindy Barlow playing my fiddle. Here's the tune. Okay. Is it just to humor me anyway? Oh, well, I want to hear it. I mean, I, it's very crisp and straightforward in its sound, I think.
Once again, that was Cindy Barlow on Great White Fiddle, uh, built by yours truly. The guitarist there was a dear friend of Cindy's, one that she has played with for very many years, C.C. Walthers. C.C. is an antique dealer in Buffalo, Wyoming, and I hope that if you're around that area that you would go look her up. That said, we'll leave you with a little bit more of their music, and I hope that you have a blessed day.